Welcome to the Health and Wealth Power Hour, the podcast provides you with the knowledge and insights you need to achieve physical, mental, and financial well-being. I'm your host, Arlen Pickett, a business consultant who's passionate about helping people achieve a more balanced and healthier life. Each week, we'll deep dive into topics related to health and wealth, including retirement income planning, innovative healthcare solutions, alternative funded health plans, and specific actions individuals and business owners can take to gain control of their finances, have access to affordable quality health care, and achieve peace of mind. We'll also be joined by innovative experts who will share their knowledge and insights on prevalent topics. So, whether you're looking to grow your wealth or improve your health, you've come to the right place. Get ready to be informed, inspired, and empowered. Let's get started. All right, and welcome again to the Health and Wealth Power Hour. I am your host, Harlan Pickett. Man, I am excited today. For the third consecutive year, I get to hang out with Keith Smith and Jay Kempton. Don't know who they are? Well, shame on you. They are the founders of the Free Market Medical Association, and what a couple of great guys they are, too. I mean, deep in this industry, totally different backgrounds. Uh, these guys will tell you a little bit here in a few minutes about kind of how they decided to get together on this because they come from very different spectrums. And I'll let them tell you about that themselves. But welcome aboard, Dr. Keith Smith. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. And of course, Jay Kempton of the Kempton Group. Welcome aboard, buddy. Good afternoon, Harlan. All right. So you guys have been on this mission for... 10 years now with the Free Market Medical Association coming up on the big 10-year anniversary and then the big 10-year event coming up next year. But we just finished up with the ninth conference, knocked it out of the park in Kansas City, uh, sold out all of the membership, the non-memberships, the sponsorships, uh, sold out the hotel it was at, the hotels around it, knocked it out of the park, fellas. Great job. Thank you. Thank you. So what did what have y'all seen? Uh, Dr. Smith, I'll, I'll ask you this first. What have you seen in the nine years, almost 10 now, in change in acceptance, uh, understanding, and movement with the Free Market Medical Association? Well, I I have to answer that consistent with and through the lens of this past year's theme, um, which was really focused on what a rebellion is. Um, and I I think it's, it's important for the members of the movement and those who are drawn to it to see, see what is happening um, in the industry as a result of, of the members of this movement's efforts as as a rebellion. So, so I think what's happening is the movement is growing. The actual number of rebels um, is growing. Their influence is growing. And I think that those who are threatened by this um, will, in all likelihood, they're the, the ones extremely threatened by this, in all likelihood, will never be part Um of what we're doing, we will never completely uh, crowd them out uh, of what they're doing. 
But I think that it's safe to say they've had to acknowledge the movement and they've had to acknowledge um, that inevitably it may be a market force strong enough they have to contend with. Um, They've had to acknowledge that they are losing business. They are losing patients. As the hospitals say, they are losing market share. That's all they care about. Um, And I think they would have to acknowledge um, that this this rebellion has really held them to an account in a way that I believe in our early days they would never uh, have even imagined. Um, I think also this movement has changed the narrative. Uh, Jay and I, neither one, believe the government has any role in this movement and helping it along. I'm from the government and I, I'm here to help. Always ends in a complete disaster. However, the narrative has changed and the government is even now trying to get in on this movement. Um, and the government is the primary culprit for everything that's wrong in the industry. So so even Uncle Sam, the Godzilla bad guy, is trying to get in on it by mandating this movement, basically trying to mandate uh, price transparency. And that's taken the tinfoil hat off Jay and I and everybody else that is involved. But that is really fraught with with problems. And I think everyone everyone needs to stay on alert that when when the congressman or the regulator shows up and tells us, you know, how proud they are, we need to grab our wallet and just run the other way. So I think that it is having an effect. It's having an effect larger uh, than most people realize, because those who are most threatened by it are so threatened by it, they don't even want to acknowledge it. Uh, They want to hide from it and not even really admit that it's there. But I think, and I've been told this by a big hospital system, I don't mean just one hospital, I mean people who run multiple, multiple hospitals, Uh, this is creepy for them. They don't don't really know how to enter. Uh, They don't know if they're gonna have to ask for a lot of forgiveness before they do. Uh, so it's it's definitely on the radar, even at the highest levels of the bad guy scene. Um, and I hope they lose sleep at night over it. Yeah, I'm I'm very concerned that they don't lose sleep over it at night uh, yet. But I do think that is coming. And I want to point something out, and I'm going to let Jay speak to this. We're not rebels just to be rebels for rebels' sake. We're rebels because someone's got to start making these changes that we have seen truly cause the huge increase in the cost of healthcare in this country. It is not, healthcare costs are not rising just because of inflation, just because, oh, look, the price of everything's going up. No, it's it's going at such an extraordinarily high rate because of the actions of a few profiteering type entities. And speak a little bit about what you've seen that in your career, which has been a a, a long career in this industry, Jay, speak a little bit about that and why you became a rebel. Because once again, this is not being a rebel for rebel's sake, it's being a rebel for many others' sake. Yeah, Harlan, that is a great point. Um, 
you know, we're, we're rebels because people are being damaged. Um, you know, employers are being damaged, employees, families, uh, livelihoods are being damaged by, um, you know, really the, the, they're being victimized by, um, we always say a broken system. It always depends on what side of the system you happen to be standing on is whether or not you think it's broken or if it's working exactly as designed, exactly. but it is, it's definitely damaging people. So, yeah, um, I've been, I've been in the space since 1992, um, you know, working at the family business, which is uh, the Kempton group, our uh, third party administrator. We work with self-funded employers and for a lot of years, um, I would go out and I would believe the narrative as, you know, as a young, as a young pup in the business that, well, you know, if I, if the, if the, if the increase is only single digits then I can sleep well at night, I had a little bit of a different perspective probably than a lot of consultants did or, or brokers, even, even the good guys because I was a TPA, I actually saw what was, I saw the medical bills. I saw the bills and I saw the inflation. Um, seeing the inflation in say a professional fee, what a physician gets, gets paid or what a hospital possibly gets paid. You know, for us, I was like, well, you know, we don't really have a lot of insight into that. Um, you know, it's kind of hard to put a price tag on art. I know a lot more today than I did back, you know, back 30 years ago, but that was really kind of we, how we looked at it. Well, how, how, how are we to, to, to judge uh, what art costs? But what really kind of tripped the trigger for, for my organization, Harlan and myself, was seeing what was happening with some of the, um, uh, some of the widgets in healthcare, um, implantable devices, for instance, like, you know, pacemakers or mesh or rods or screws. We started seeing uh, over a very, very short period of time, we saw some of the, uh, some of the costs going up by multiple hundreds of percent over the course of two or three years for, for devices that really hadn't changed in, in years. We also started seeing some of the third party um, discounting uh, businesses out there, the, the preferred provider organizations, uh, they were, they were certainly reacting to these crazy, uh, cost increases on some of these implantable medical devices, but they weren't reacting like you would think they weren't reacting to, Oh my goodness, we, we've got to get a handle on these costs. What we saw was these network, uh, discount arrangements, their contracts were starting to be amended where they actually would essentially take a hands-off approach uh, to the charges on those medical devices from the hospital systems, which was essentially just giving a green light for this rampant inflation. And that was when the light bulb really went off for me that this is not a naturally occurring phenomenon. <laughs> there, is, there are actors at work here that are really trying to defraud and, and, are, and are, are throwing levers inside the healthcare uh, space to essentially feather their own beds. Um, and so I didn't see that 12% cost increase to my client. I didn't see it in the same light when I saw how those things were manifesting. Well, and I think that's interesting because you're talking at a time period before many people say this, this began, 
which was yeah. Obamacare. In the early right? Obamacare, right? Obamacare is when the things happened because they limited on how much these in, these poor insurance companies could make. They said you can only make this little piece, and so now the prices. And we 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 know the story, right? So the prices have to be higher so they can charge more so they can make more. That's the only way they can. And yes, there's a whole lot of truth to that, but this certainly predates that. This was well before these artificial numbers had to be put through there. Uh, and it's interesting because my wife, who did some negotiation for a DME company back then, uh, said it was so interesting how her world changed when that company started taking private insurance and not just Medicare. When they were working with Medicare, the price was this. And that's what the price was. Whatever it was, it doesn't matter whether it was the right price or wrong price. Medicare said it's this. And when they started working with a private, she said, wow, they were willing to pay this over here so much more than Medicare. And that's where their number would start. You know, Medicare might have been $200 where their number started at 800 And they were willing to pay more if you wanted them to. But they wanted to do whatever was made you happy. She's like, wow, my bosses were so happy that I negotiated these great contracts. <laughs> Little did they know the insurance company started at four or 500% of Medicare. And so she looked like she was just knocking it out of the park. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, you, you mentioned, you just mentioned, you know, uh, what, you know, people were willing to pay, you know, for durable medical equipment, we're talking about a wheelchair or crutches or, or something like that. Uh, you know, People arguably still would have somewhat of a choice um, on on those items. The the thing that that struck me though is when we we're talking about devices that are surgical devices that the patient has no ability have right. never, never even saw, hopefully ever saw uh, what was actually implanted into them. Those right. were the areas in which the most egregious price uh, uh, gouging was occurring and. And so that 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 really is what sm what uh, kind of smacked as as opportunistic uh, gouging of patients at their most vulnerable. I, and I can understand that. So, Doctor Smith, let me ask you about that. Obviously, y'all still purchase those type devices. I mean, you're a surgery center, so you're gonna uh, you're gonna purchase various different equipment such as that. Do you get any special better deal than the uh, big hospital down the street? No, and uh, I think it it's worth pointing out that I increased the prices at the surgery center this past July for the first time. Uh, when I say for the first time, I mean since 1997 uh, when we were quoting prices over the phone. So during the time all of these wild price increases were happening, our prices were stable. Um, and the other thing I think that's worth pointing out is when we buy a $500 implant, uh, we apply no markup to it whatsoever. Um, so we lateral um, the implant cost as a pass-through to the buyer, whoever they are. If it's an individual or it's a 100,000 life group, uh, we don't care. So while everyone is, you know, complaining about the wildly, you know, increasing cost of care, they need to be careful with their words. It's the increasing price. Uh, right. The cost, while going up a little, has not gone up that much. And and there also have been 
certain efficiencies that have been discovered that should have lowered the price um, in some areas. And I actually did that. Um, the surgery center of Oklahoma, where we experienced efficiencies um, of cost, we actually lowered the price uh, for several procedures at, at our facility. So um, it's this is this whole game, this whole industry, uh, with the exception of the movement uh, we're involved with, is a cesspool. And, and it's that way because the government um, has auctioned off all these favors. So all these cronies deserve all the bashing uh, that we give them. But we, we have to acknowledge Uncle Sam's driving the getaway car and is involved from the very beginning um, in this scam. I, you know, legislators are always asking, what can we do? And, you know, I had my renewal yesterday with Jay. And I'm looking at, you know, these no surprises act. Well, I have to pay for that. I mean, I got I got taxed by the government for the no surprises act. Well, Jay and I invented the no surprises concept, and now <laughs> we're having to actually pay for it. Uh, we gave it away, uh, but the government wants to charge for it. P. Corey. This PCORI, I have to hire an accountant to fill that crap out. You know, legislators are always asking, what can we do? And my first answer is stop. Just stop doing anything and you know, go on vacation. Uh, don't go back to work. Maybe think about undoing some of what you have done. But all of these wild price increases are downstream of favors Uncle Sam has granted to all of these all of these big industry players, and they're completely unnecessary. No, I, I agree with that 100%. And I think you have a comment on that too, Jay. Yeah, I was just going to say it, it's good to remind uh, your listeners that, you know, this movement that, you know, Harlan, you've, you've uh, been so nice to allow us to come on and, and talk about and, you know, how it's been in the last 10 years, it has grown tremendously, you know, so many buyers and, and sellers in the thousands that are now offering fully upfront market competitive uh, pricing. That has all been done with or in spite of any government assistance. So in other words, government assistance from a regulatory standpoint has only served to stand in the way of, of, of quicker uh, ref DIY reforms is what as we always refer to it is, you know, anytime the government has gotten involved, ironically, you know, with the No Surprises Act, which is a transparency bill, that has done nothing but slow this movement down. Yeah, and it slows it down because then all of a sudden <clears throat> what Dr. Smith has been doing since 2009, you did it before then, but they were actually published online in 2009. What you've been doing and got a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of feedback on that from some very unhappy people that I want you to talk about here in just a second. Uh, but you've been doing that all that time. And all of a sudden, it's a big deal. Wow, look at how good these people are being. Wow, look at them go. When we know, first of all, most of them are still not even being compliant. And it just adds more confusion when people go on there and see hip replacement. And there's actually like 10 different prices on there 
for hip replacement because it's different for every insurance carrier that they take. And here's your Medicare price and here's your cash price. And here's, and people have no idea what's going on. And so I, I do want to, I do think it's a, a funny story to talk about when you put your prices online, what happened? So remind everyone real quick what happened when you first put your prices online. Well, the first thing that happened was Canadians arrived. Now, that was the very first thing. And, you know, people have been kicking around this Medicare for all universal insurance sort of idea for a long time. And you know, I'm scratching my head. You know, these people have insurance. What does that even mean? You know, they have insurance coverage. What does that even mean if someone from Vancouver or Quebec is in Oklahoma City to have a knee arthroscopy or a hysterectomy, a procedure they would have waited a year or two for um, at the time in Canada. Those waits now are three to five years. The waits up there are now worse. So, yeah, the first thing that happened was uh, Canadians showed up. Um, and then, you know, people from other states started to arrive. Um, Jay and I met shortly after I had the prices online and all of his clients took part. And then Jay's competitors jumped on board. And then my competitors jumped on Jay because Jay and I were working together. And so, <laughs> you know, Jay now had, had all these other provider vendors um, that were competing with me. Um, and that's that's been a healthy thing that has kept, um, you know, that has kept my nose down and my pencil sharp. That's for sure. So, um all of these things started to happen, and then hospitals that started to lose business to us started matching our price uh, so that they would not start the avalanche they were so afraid of that, you know, this this patient at the water cooler, when they get back uh, from having great care to reasonable price, is going to tell everybody they know, and then the, that hospital system has a problem. So, you know, it's a ripple effect to the that can't be quantified, but uh, I think qualitatively we can we can unequivocally say that it's it's had a real ripple effect, um, and and I do think people are losing sleep over it at night. Well, I can tell oh. you that recently I got to hear you speak at the National Association of Insurance and Benefits Professionals conference that was held just uh, here a few days ago where we just both of us got back from that. And it was very, very engaging. I thought you had a lot of individuals kind of on the edge of their seat, listening to what you had to say about what the movement's doing. Um, what those of us that are rebels have been kind of doing behind the background that a lot of these folks, unfortunately have not uh, been a part of because they have certainly either had their head in the sand or been blinded by the bukas, as it were, of what's really going on. And the more interesting thing to me was afterwards, uh, whenever we happen to be sitting at a lunch table, listening to some of the folks around the table questioning, were you a quack? I mean, what is this guy doing? What's he even talking about? Is this stuff really happening? And one of them questioned so much so that they said, there's just no way he can know what the prices are. There's no way. No hospital can know what the prices are. They can't know that. And I said, yes, he can like, but he's got to change it. Something happens in there and then they change the price because they had to give another thing of blood or what. I'm like, no, they don't. They don't change the price. If he got it wrong, he got it wrong. 
that he may reevaluate it for another time, but he didn't change the price. Like, well, he can't do that. There's no way he can make any money. <laughs> you're not listening and you're not understanding. What the price is, is what the price is. He knows it because they've done it so many times and done it so many times successfully that that's what the price is. I've sat down and talked to him enough times that I'm 100% confident that what he's telling you he's going to do it for, he's going to do it for. And it was such a foreign concept, guys, that they just couldn't believe it. And I think that's the problem with hospitals, too. This is why hospitals have such a hard time. It's such a foreign concept that we've got to take into consideration all of these things, or you've got to be so good at it, which is what you say, Dr. Smith, because you've done it so many times, you're not worried about getting it wrong. Well, and it's a combination of those two things. Um, a lot of the hospitals really don't know, um, and that's a problem. And that's a problem that the FMMA and the members are helping the hospitals with. If they really don't know and they want to get in the game, then all of the members are happy to help them uh, get in the game because this is not some vendetta. Uh, this is a very missional uh, project. Um, the other problem is they don't know, but but now they're being forced to do it in a weird way. Um, and it's like our friend Greg Smith says, if I send you a list of parts for a Ford F-150, each one, each part of which is priced, you know, how, how will you know how much the truck actually is? And, you know, that's the sort of pr price transparency that the government is mandating. And it's a meaning, meaningless one. Um, but I, I do know my prices um, and I am wrong. I'm wrong all the time. And I'm wrong because I didn't take something into consideration. And if that's the case, and I know that event or whatever it is, that supply is a regular occurrence. I change my price. People do that. And that it is a free market. Um, typically, the way I change my prices is I lower them because I had built in a margin that maybe was too large. But, you know, I had a guy I had a guy build a deck in my backyard one time and he came over and he did, made some measurements and he said, what do you want? What kind of wood do you want to use? And I told him and he made some, he did, he made some measurements and he gave me a price. And it was incredible. And I've never been able to shake that because if he can do that for a deck in my backyard, just knowing the dimensions and the wood type, why in the world as a physician can I not say a gallbladder surgery at our facility $6,836 all in? When I know the anesthesia charge, I know the surgeon charge, and the rest of it's time and materials. So um, I'm helping hospitals uh, come on board with that concept to price things like a general contractor. And if you're wrong, change it for the next time. Um, you know, when you when you realize, well, in this with this particular surgery, here are three things that have to be considered, which occur 60 percent of the time. Well, that's how you construct a margin. I mean, come on. 
it's not that's not calculus that's not even algebra that's just not being stupid no it, it makes perfect sense you know i thought one of the things that you said that was i think very impactful is your surgery center the surgery center of oklahoma is a tool i thought that was very interesting concept that you said that because most individuals myself included until you said that had never thought about in that way. I've been to it. I've seen it. It's a beautiful tool, by the way. Very nice. I mean, it's a very nice, very clean, uh, very efficient, efficiently run. Uh, but the way you called it as a tool, I think very much, it, that's what it is. You defined it so well, but I'd never even considered that. Most hospitals, most surgery centers, most doctor's offices, they certainly do not view that office and that facility in that manner, they look at it as a profit center. And they look at each person there helping to make that place more profitable. And that is certainly one of the things that definitely sets uh, sets you guys apart without a doubt. For sure. Jay, right, I want to ask a question. Now let's switch gears a little bit here and talk about reference-based pricing. Uh, the very first time I ever heard about reference-based pricing was from you. I had no idea what it was. Now, uh, you know, full disclosure, I had primarily been in the individual space, some in the Medicare space at that time. Uh, we were doing medical cost-sharing plans primarily. And so that wasn't anything that was part of my vocabulary per se. Whenever I heard about it, I was intrigued. Uh, I know that since you started working with it a number of years ago, it has seen a dramatic change. It's becoming a little more commonplace now. But I want to talk. I want you to talk a little bit about the evolution of reference-based pricing and kind of where you think we're going from here. But first of all, tell us what it is. I'm going to let you do that instead of me. Uh, tell us what it is, and then tell us a little bit about the evolution and where you see it going from here. Is, is that for me, Harlan? That's for you, Jay. Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. So, so reference-based pricing, generally speaking, is, is using a universal reference. And in, in most cases, it's going to be Medicare. Uh, what, what Medicare will pay to a given medical provider for a given medical procedure. Um, Medicare and the government, they're the largest buyer of healthcare goods and services in the U.S., and they have a, a very extensive, very elaborate methodology to determine what they're going to pay for, for medical care um, through the Medicare program. And I'm here to tell you they're wrong most of the time. Um, so I don't want your listeners to think that Medicare is some sort of a, is the right reference to use. Uh, as, as Dr. Smith uh, had, uh, had uh, taught me early on in our relationship that pricing is not imposed, pricing emerges through market commerce. Uh, so Medicare is certainly not, doesn't have it right, but since they're the biggest buyer, most medical providers, hospitals especially, are very adept at Medicare. They're used to Medicare. So how that works within a health plan self-funded health plan uh, in, in, my, uh, in my world is instead of uh, having a top-down negotiation, as your listeners know, hospitals are generally going to charge what's known as a charge master, which is the monopoly money number that nobody buys because they're expecting a negotiation down. 
Uh, the negotiation down is really a smokescreen. It, it's a, a, a it's an ability, you know, for uh, the theft to be sanitized uh, because you're getting such a great discount. <laughs> Make you feel your reference based pricing is really the opposite of that, as opposed to a top down negotiation. It's more from a bottom up perspective, utilizing Medicare as the basis or the beginning of of, of the conversation. Um, a self-funded health plan might say, OK, well, we're going if we don't have a an agreement with a medical provider ahead of time, like a surgery center of Oklahoma, we don't have an agreement, but they offer their own pricing. If we don't have, they don't post their pricing and we don't have an agreement with them, we're going to start somewhere and we're not going to pay their charge master. So we're going to pay them a percentage above what that provider accepts from Medicare. And that can range from 30% above Medicare to 60% above Medicare. While a lot of plans, if it's say an emergency uh, encounter, it might be 200% of Medicare. Okay. So that's Medicare reference-based pricing. Um, if you think about it, if your listeners will think about it, um, the way that a preferred provider organization discounts off of a charge master price, your listeners, patients, they do not have a seat at the table when they're when those prices are being negotiated behind closed doors. They don't know whether they're they're accessing a good deal that's been negotiated in good faith or if it's a horrible deal. So from the patient's perspective, they are having pricing imposed upon them, if you think about it that way. Well, Medicare reference-based pricing is kind of the same thing, but it's more of the buyer imposing pricing on the seller. And I was always taught that two wrongs don't make a right. And so <laughs> while as a, a proxy buyer, as a third party administrator, I kind of like the idea of giving it back, you know, to the medical providers. Or they've been imposing pricing on our clients for so long, we're going to impose it back. But ideally, the way we would want your listeners to look at Medicare reference price based pricing, it is more of a common language to be able to start a negotiation with a medical provider if they if they're unable or unwilling to negotiate on the ultimate universal language which is cash if they don't if they can't bundle a medical procedure or they don't know what anything costs as Dr. Smith said then you have to have some sort of a language in which they do understand and and unfortunately or or fortunately um you know the big hospital systems their biggest customer is the federal government, the Medicare program. And so they do understand what they get paid by Medicare. And you can start to have a conversation with them uh, at some percentage above Medicare. Now, that's the way it's supposed to work. Um, what is more problematic with Medicare reference-based pricing is that it's not so much the problem with the methodology, but many hospital systems, they will reject Medicare reference-based pricing, not necessarily because they're not getting paid an appropriate amount or an amount that is fair. They simply are not okay with the buyer coming to the table in equal standing with them. 
That's their biggest problem with Medicare reference-based pricing. They are so accustomed to being able to set their own price through the backdoor deals through the uh, preferred provider networks that the alternative to that is, is something that they just cannot withstand and they will, a lot of them will reject it out of hand. That's interesting. I mean, they're so used to being in charge or being the dictator, they could not be the dictatee, right? They they simply cannot stomach it. Or they can't. It's not even in their language, right? It's it, it just doesn't make sense to them. It's it's kind of like uh when Dr. Smith was saying they can't come up with a price. They can't come up with a price because they've never looked at it. They can't agree to reference-based pricing because they've never even considered it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's a you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, one of the most frustrating things that that we deal with is we'll have uh, one of our <clears throat> participants that is on one of our employer plans that we administer will show up at hospital X, Y, or Z with their benefits card, which I printed for them. It does not say what percentage above Medicare that the hospital is going to be paid when that claim is ultimately filed with our company. It just says that this participant does not use a commercial network, that the payment will be based on a percentage above the medical provider's Medicare rate. And then the hospital will tell the patient, we don't accept Medicare reference-based pricing. Well, what the heck does that even mean? They don't, rejecting med it'd be like saying i reject harlan i reject you you're you're trying to have a conversation with me and i say to you harlan i reject the english language <laughs> you haven't even said anything to me yet and i'm just going to reject the way that you're communicating with me and that's what the hospitals are doing they will reject it without even hearing what percentage above medicare is the plan willing to offer? If it's 3,000% of Medicare, which it theoretically could be, you're here to tell me that the hospital's still going to reject that? They're not because they're used to accepting 100% of Medicare. Uh, so it's, to, to your point a minute ago, it's about control. Yeah. Uh, they're just not interested in having in a, a, a conversation uh, between equals. Well, and, you know, they think about whenever they actually disagree with big insurance companies. We see it, right? We usually see it on billboards. Right. right? I mean, that's where we see the disagreement between them yeah. on billboards, right? Uh, whenever the local hospital system or big urgent care ER clinics, whatever, put up there and they say, Starting September 1st, we'll no longer be in Blue Cross Blue Shield Network because, you know, we they don't say we couldn't agree. So talk to your talk to your plan today. And then across the street from that, Blue Cross has a uh, sign saying, starting here, these people won't be in network because of whatever. And sure. then a couple of months later, they both have new ones going, we're friends now. Congratulations. We're pleased to announce. We're, we're pleased to announce that we're all good buddies again now because we decided we would play with each other. We Once have again, successfully conspired against you. Yes, that's exactly right. And, and it's it's all, as we all know, as Rebels, it's all the games that they play behind closed doors to get their way. And that's all it's about is who is going to cave first to get their way. And that's uh, that. unfortunately what we've seen is too many bad actors 
in all of our groups, unfortunately, whether it's, um, uh, and I don't think the doctors always intend to be that way, but they get caught in this system, Keith, where they don't know where else to turn and it's, and they can't get out of this circle of these insurance companies and these hospitals continuing to screw them over, but they can't get out of it. And TPAs that are getting paid in so many different ways from so many different places, Jay, that they can't get out of that. Because uh, once they're in there, how can they walk away from it? And brokers uh, in, in my world that just are getting paid these incredibly uh, huge bonuses and in all these different ways from TPAs and and from PBMs and all the, that they just can't get out of that and become a rebel. Because if they do, they have to leave all of that behind. Uh, you know, you, you can't talk bad about uh, the folks that are feeding you, as it were, right? And Man, I feel so blessed to have never found myself in such a situation as that and to have joined the movement whenever I did before I ever got caught up in all of that craziness. And, you know, it's it, it's it's certainly a blessing. And it, it's to me, it's interesting also to see uh, the darts they throw at us, right? The darts they throw at us, just like the guys saying there's no way that Keith can be doing what he's doing. Uh, people saying, because we hear it as brokers, uh, you can't trust any TPA, no matter how, which TPA is telling you they're not getting uh, kickbacks from somebody, they're getting it from someone. They're, they're just never going to disclose all of that. Uh, you know, all of those things. And, and then, you know, we still work with mostly medical cost sharing. And there was a report by CBS News here recently talking about how almost 2 million people are on these, even though these plans don't provide any guarantees and they're, you know, they're after all of this and this is terrible, these poor people. And I'm thinking as I read that, but all these folks on insurance are doing okay, right? They're, they've got all these guarantees. Let's, let's talk about the folks that are on Friday health plans and all the guarantees that are helping them out right now as Friday is laying off all of their people and their plans are all defunct. And they're going to lose their health insurance, some of them during the middle of the year, some of them not. But what if you've got your cancer doctor and the only doctor that takes that, the only thing he takes is Friday health plan. What are you going to do now for the rest of this year whenever you're in treatment for your cancer or whatever? And now you can't see your doctor anymore. How did that guarantee work out for you, Mr. or Mrs. Insurance uh, person? You know, it these things are not held on. We're not held accountable for the same ways. Uh, we know we're not because we don't have the kind of lobby that they do. <laughs> but in my opinion, we have something greater. We have the truth and we have what's right on our side. And that's why I think at the end of the day, we're going to win because we have those things on our side that you cannot punch holes. At the end of the day, you cannot punch holes in the truth. You can keep poking at it but you're not going to punch holes through it. And I think that's vitally important. Um, I'm also really excited, guys, that y'all are going to have an opportunity to be on stage at Rosetta Fest. Uh, that's coming up in uh, August, I believe, August 7th through the 9th in Chicago. Uh, do you guys know what day you're, you're going to be on stage? I think it's the first day. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Ah, they're going to kick that off with y'all. Well, everyone can go home after that because they're going to get now. I'm, I'm just kidding. If you listen to it, Dave Chase, I'm just kidding, buddy. <laughs> they're either brave or I, I'm not sure. <laughs> no, that is, I think that's going to be very impactful because the, the folks that are at Rosetta Fest 
they're leaning that way, right? There can be a number of traditional brokers, TPAs, uh, doctors that may be thinking about going towards DPC or even specialty, uh, direct specialty care, and maybe they're on the fence. So we're talking to the right people there, some that have already made the jump, but some that are considering it. So the fact you guys have that kind of platform, I think, is going to be awesome uh, to be there as well. Uh, once again, I think, I think that was great that I you think were. It's important. It's important for everybody to keep in mind too that what's exciting about about this movement going viral in the consultant and broker space is that they are talking to the only people who truly matter, and that's the buyer. That's the buyer. You, know, yep. you talk about you know, physicians who are trapped or brokers who are trapped or hospitals who are trapped, um, they're going to respond to one thing, and that is a market signal, uh, the, ignore, the ignoring of which means their demise, which means they go out of business. So when the buyer in this country wakes up, um, individual and institutional buyers, uh, self-funded buyers, all the cost-sharing ministries, when they wake up and they, they, you know, acknowledge and declare their kind of place on the throne as the, the sovereign entity, the sovereign buyer, um, that's, that's when everybody is going to jump and make the change or they're not going to have any business at all. And I, I think, and I I made those comments and different words at NABIP the other day. Um, that's that's why um, this this movement going viral amongst the consultants is is very exciting, and we we uh, hope to see a lot of the people on that side of the movement join us in the Free Market Medical Association, and together that with the synergy make that happen. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the greatest comments that I heard when we were talking beforehand, you said you talked to a number of people after you spoke there at, at NABIP and they were already signing up for FMMA. And man, that that's what it's all about right there. Is, yeah, agreed. It, no, it's a great getting that group of like-minded people. I mean, that's that's the greatest thing I can say about the movement that we've had and the growth. Um where, where are we at now? I think, Jay, you were looking that up uh, far as where are we at now on state chapters, buddy? Yeah, at 37 state chapters um, uh, across the United States. And yeah, I mean, the growth of the local chapters, the fact that uh, that uh, Health Rosetta exists and there's so much interest from the consultant broker community. Those are all amazing indicators that, uh, you know, that the movement is 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 growing like crazy. I You know, it wasn't long ago that you know, the consultant community was really didn't feel like they had a role to play, you know, outside of, of the carrier VUCA control. And now we see in so many places around the country where the reform, the the, the free market reform is being driven by the consultant community. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that takes us right to our good friend, Matt Ord, right up in Wisconsin and the movement that he's making. And he's fixing to come out with a, a book that I think we're all really excited about as well. Um, and Keith, you were very blessed to get to write the uh, forward on that. And then recently I saw a little excerpt from uh, Jay that you had 
had written a little thing that I think you put out on LinkedIn here within the last few days, a little comment that you had about it. But this is a guy that came from the employer world. He came from that buyer world, as you were talking about, he's the ultimate buyer world and saw the problems inherently happening in a state where there wasn't a lot of other options uh, in a state that has not really uh, gone towards free market, not direct primary care, uh, no independent surgery centers. I mean, in a state of Wisconsin where they were trapped cartel in a fully was, insured world. Uh, the cartel was firmly in control. In yeah, yeah, fully insured world of nothing but, uh, but the cartel, like you're saying there, Jay. And he started making a move. And man, he's made a huge difference in a pretty short time. It hasn't been easy, but he's made uh, a pretty big impact in a real short time. And he's having some incredible events that are uh, involving employers across the state there. Well, that's that's what's driving that. You know, Harlan yeah. is, you know, is, as Dr. Smith just mentioned, you know, the 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 status quo or the cartel is very much in control in Wisconsin. And what Matt did is as he started to question how things were going for his employer and within the greater Wisconsin, the state of Wisconsin from a healthcare perspective, he learned that, you know, they've been lied to. Um, collectively and, and, and things were not as they appeared. And so he did not start his, uh, you know, his evangelism at the state house. Right. <laughs> he started his evangelism with other employers, telling them what he had discovered. And the employers, as Dr. Smith said, they're the ones that are demanding change or they're going to ship their patients to surgery center of Oklahoma or somewhere else. Um, they are going to demand more competition in the healthcare space and they're going to vote with their feet. And, and that's the power of the buyer. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, what's interesting about Matt's story is that he was an HR guy, right? He was an HR executive that led his company to uh, huge savings, took that same message to other employers, as you were mentioning, Jay, and then eventually got to the point where he says, you know, I'm actually going to do more good if I became a broker so I could reach even more. Uh, and so he stepped into to a broker into the broker shoes. I think that he was crazy to do that. But anyway, <laughs> but I understand what his passion was, what he was going after. And the fact that he's been able to replicate that and help so many others and use real life case studies that employers are not just saving money because while that's important, they're making a difference in their employees' lives in a hugely positive manner. Healthier groups of people with better access, or with access, not even better access, but with access, because let's be honest, those barriers, I don't care what your deductible is. You know, someone said the other day, well, if someone's got a $500 deductible, it's no big deal. Well, when 80% of the people in this country don't have $400 in a savings account, a $500 deductible is untenable for some people. It might as well be $5,000 or a marketplace plan with a $9,100 deductible. It doesn't make any difference. Whatever that is, if they're afraid to go to the doctor because of that deductible, that's a barrier to care. Absolutely. And that that's a shame. We're still in the greatest country in the world. Uh, we still have great health care here, great health care. But what we don't have is great access to health care. 
And it's of our own, <laughs> it's our own fault. It's of our own creation. It's it's allowing these big insurance companies is allowing the cartel to have control over people's access to healthcare. And once again, that's self-inflicted. Well, yeah, I mean, to not to to steal anything from Matt's book because it's going to be an absolute page turner. Um, but you know, one of the things that that Matt has has said is, you know, he comes from a, a Toyota Lean background uh, in 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 his career, and he started. And so he's pretty familiar with how things should work and how things can work from an efficiency standpoint, and how you can come out with a better product at a lower price. And he started looking at what was going on in, in the healthcare world around Wisconsin and, and said, I, we can't just sit idly by and allow the folks that are in control of, of, of this market to continue to be in control because they, it's obvious that either they don't know what they're doing or they absolutely know what they're doing. And we've got to do better. And so I, I think my I think uh, his background is is a really uh, he was the right guy in the right place at the right time. Agree. Yeah, I agree with you 100 percent. And, you know, reading his story about eh, this is this is kind of a, a precursor, folks. The straw that broke the camel's back or in this case, the tractor. Um, that is an interesting story that really got him going down that direction, too. Just. Wow. What an incredible uh, situation and I, I, I do yourself a favor folks and be ready when that book comes out uh, Matt is going to be on the show by the way after that happens too he's he's going to be on and share uh, some more about that so I, I'm excited about having him on as well Keith I want to I want to go back to uh, some stuff that's going on hospital wise um, I, I'm you may have seen we passed a house bill a uh, 7-Eleven here in Texas that now allows fully insured plans or I guess it could be self-insured too, but we can already do some steering and tearing there, but a law allows fully insured plans to have steerage and tearing for, for certain hospitals within a system. Now, therefore we can cherry pick the quality hospitals allegedly the, the quality hospitals out of a system if we just want to include those in a health plan now, fully insured health plan. Is it going to make any difference or any of the carriers going to adapt to this? I don't know. Jay, Jay should probably answer that because I'm still having a hard time wrapping my mind around it. Um, and what I it am means. too. I'm yeah. going to tell you right now, I am too. I don't understand. I understand the idea behind it but I don't see how any of these carriers are ever going to adopt it. Yeah. I, I, I'm fairly familiar with that, that bill. And we're, we're trying to get more aware of, you know, what, what is it going to do? Who's going to adapt? Yeah. So it's on our radar for sure. Um, I, I, I don't know that the carriers are going to um, uh, adopt it, but the other thing that I'm not hearing being questioned is I don't know that the systems are going to allow it. Um, I mean, just because an insurance plan can steer people to different locations or different hospitals within a particular system, I mean, they can control what location is competitive and which location is open 
in which location. I mean, so <laughs> I, I just the, the cartel has a very elaborate defense system. Um, and when you start seeing um, patients leave a highly profitable location within a hospital system to another another area in which the prices are low, the reason they're low in that other area is because there may be additional competition over there um, in that area, or there's just not enough volume and they're wanting to get more volume. The, 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 the systems are very much in control of what location they choose to be competitive in. It's not a static result. And so I think that there's, I think the legislation is well-intended but there are a lot of moving parts here. And again, if, yeah. if you're relying on the carriers and the systems to make this work without empowering the patient and the buyer, it's just window dressing. It's it's not going to change anything at, at when it all comes down to it. That's that's my take. I might eat my words in the future, but yeah. Yeah, I'm envisioning I'm envisioning the systems and the carriers behind closed doors, drinking champagne, laughing that anybody is celebrating the scraps that they've been allowed to pick up off the floor when the pillaging and the robbery on a grand scale grand scale uh, continues. So and it sounds to me like uh, window dressing and I don't know that we should have cel celebrate what we are allowed the crumbs where you know we're allowed to pick up. Uh, thank you, government. Yeah. Well, my first thought on it was if they do design some of these plans, they're going to put them in with the other three to four hundred options they have in any given area, with no way to really differentiate them out, unless you knew the right filter. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you guys have ever tried to find a plan for an individual on, say, any portal that's out there. But I'm not joking. That's about what there is, is in on any given area per carrier, somewhere between three and four hundred options that they may offer in an area. Now, the difference could be so minuscule that you don't even understand why there's another plan. Well, this is why. The, the reason is, is because that way... There could be some really good plans in there, but how in the heck do you find them, right? It's, <laughs> it's crazy that there's so many options offered, but it is. It is my That was my thought the first time I heard it. Sure, let's just say they're required by law to do it. I did it. Good luck finding it. <laughs> and, you know, back, back to that legislation, you know, I think, it again, it's well intended like so many things too. government does, but I just don't think that they know what they're getting into, but you know, a lot of these um, contracts between the hospitals and, and the carriers and the networks, you know, there's volume guarantees that are built into those contracts. Right. Uh, you want to, you want the best deal in town where you're going to have to send me the most patients. Um, you know, now you have this legislation that, that seeks to disrupt that there will be a reaction. And I, I don't know that I'm prepared to tell you what the reaction is going to be, but I know this is not going to be the panacea. This is not the silver bullet. <laughs> we'll just have to see a few months to find out how uh, how this thing blows apart, but it will. Yeah, I, I agree. And once again, I, I'm anything the government does, I, I know I agree with you guys. Anything they do, 
whether it's well-intended by a, a somebody who put out there as a well-intended bill, it usually doesn't have the results we want it to. And that's that's just, as you mentioned earlier, Keith, I'm from the government. I'm here to help the most frightening words that you'll ever hear. It's uh, like a it's like a horrible restaurant adding menu items. They need <laughs> they need to take the awful stuff off the menu. They need to seriously repeal and revisit what they have done. But, but it is it's like a horrible restaurant just putting more terrible menu items out there for people to choose from instead of addressing addressing what they've done to us. And, and you guys, it really doesn't seem, it's definitely been in our lifetimes that we, without having, and I love the direct primary care model, but without having that model, we used to have relationships with our doctors. We, we, we didn't have insurance in between us and our doctor. We didn't have them dictating things. You truly had hometown doctors, even in big cities, you had a doctor that you knew, liked and trusted and felt comfortable with and would discuss and they would talk to you and they they truly seemed concerned about your health. And I'm not saying that the doctors that all these doctors that work under these healthcare systems, that they're not some good ones in there. The problem is, is they're not, they don't have the time to show that concern. <laughs> they're not given that time. And people are tired of it. You know, that's the reason why we have 70% of Americans saying that the healthcare system has failed them. Most of them say, I, I, it takes me a month to see a doctor. And when I finally get to see one, 50% of them don't even listen to me. But you have to remember, government pays hospitals to buy doctors. So that's why doctors work for hospitals. Government overpays hospitals for everything. And they overpay hospitals for physician care so that hospitals can buy physicians. And, and that's why that's why patients are upset because they realize the doctor, this doctor didn't work for me. They work for the one paying them, this hospital system. And so at the core, at the root, again, the problem is government and that should be everyone's default thought they they're always the problem until proven otherwise no agreed and look at you know we've talked about the the bukas and the cartel and if you look and see how these insurance companies are making their money you go right back to the government you know in the last 10 years 99.3% of united healthcare's growth which has been astronomical has all been due to government contracts it's right. all been to Medicaid, Medicare, ACA, uh, federal, all of those things. Uh, it's such a lucrative thing that Humana has said, we're done with group insurance. We're out. Everything Humana will continue to do from here forward is all funded by the government. Yeah, government is, your, government is their stop loss carrier. They don't have anything to worry about. That's right. That's right. So when you think about that, that 100% of the business that Humana will do from now on is through government, on the health side, is through the government. They figured it out, right? They figured out there's there's one way to make sure that we never lose any money, and that's to get paid by the government on everything we do. That's right. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty good um, 
business model if you can get away with it. And of course, then you got United Healthcare's other business model. As you said, all the doctors work for the hospitals. All the doctors work for United Healthcare now, buddy. <laughs> and it's it's just crazy that we have lost so much control over all of these things. But we're taking it back. That's what we're here for. That's what FMA is here for. Uh, we're going to bring back that free market where you get to choose your physician based on whether he is a quality, affordable, good physician. What a novel concept. Uh, you don't get to choose that on your health plan now. Your health plan chooses who you get to see, and they don't provide you any of that information. You have no idea how good a doctor that is. You have no idea if that doctor is really affordable. You don't know if they do quality work. You don't know anything of that. There's none of that. But now with a free met for with a free market, if they're not, they're out of business pretty quick, right? Because that's what it's all about is having a free market and doing good work. Dr. Smith, that is why the Surgery Center of Oklahoma has been around so long and why you guys have thrived is because you're charging the right price for the right and quality care. Uh, you know, you hear people say, it, nurse lines in particular say, we want to send people for the right care at the right price at the right time. I would bet, I've never asked you this question before, but I would bet if someone scheduled a surgery at your center and you've discovered that that surgery wasn't necessary, that you're not going to perform that. Happens pretty regularly. I was going to say, I, I'm a I'm a good proxy buyer for Surgery Center of Oklahoma, and every month we will get multiple situations in which the patient was referred for surgery. We've navigated in consultation with the patient to Surgery Center of Oklahoma, and one of the Surgery Center of Oklahoma's surgeons will say, I don't think surgery is even warranted at this time. That's a beautiful thing because we hear stories all the time uh, diagnoses that are wrong, right? Diagnosis, we know that misdiagnosis is a huge deal, uh, that surgeries were done that were not necessary. I talked to a lady earlier today that feels like she never had cancer, but she's been through cancer treatment for over a year. She said, I just am not, I'm now not convinced that I ever really had cancer. But I have gone through all these treatments and they're telling me I need to continue to have them. She's lost her job now because she can't work due to all of the after effects of what happens when you get treatment for cancer. So she's looking for insurance to cover her continued treatments that she believes she doesn't even need to have. That's that's crazy to me. And I told her, I said, have you even got thought about getting a second opinion? He goes, well, who would give that to me? Someone who's in cancer treatment right now, who would give me a second opinion? Uh, you know, that's how lost people are in these systems. Yeah. Definitely going to have to leave the system if she wants a true second opinion. And, and that's very, that's a very daunting thing for a patient. Yeah. And I, even uh, my dad, I asked my dad, my dad was told he needed to have a biopsy done. I actually needed to have a tumor removed. He's fixing to have a biopsy here uh, pretty soon. But he was told, and I said, Dad, you need to get a second opinion. His first thought, first thing out of his mouth was, but what do you think my doctor would think? 
<laughs> Who cares what your doctor would think? You need a second opinion. Don't let someone go in and start cutting on you without getting a second opinion. <laughs> yeah, I was say, what, what does the doctor's opinion have to do with anything? Again, you know, they're they're exercising, they're executing company policy from their employer. Um, you know, and it's it's your health. Um, we've, got to, we've got to we've got to get rid of that that kind of brainwash state that so many patients are in. We 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 deal with that, you know, literally every day at, at our company. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. And the crazy thing to me is he'd seen that doctor one time. It wasn't like this is some long time doctor you've known for forever. You were referred over to this doctor because of something they saw in a CT scan. You saw the doctor one time and now you're afraid of hurting his feelings. <laughs> a horrible state uh, to be in. Yeah, it, it is. It is. All right, guys. Well, I really appreciate y'all both being on. I'm going to both give, give both of you an opportunity to for any closing remarks that you want to make. Dr. Smith, I'll go ahead and let you go first. Well, I I appreciate once again your you're uh, turning on your megaphone and spreading the gospel of the free market uh, in this industry. Um, it, it's very exciting to think about the, the brokers and the consultants um, in this industry um, educating their buyers that they represent, uh, that, that they have a choice, that there's an alternative um, there's a there's a better way. There's a there's a way that's affordable, um, not just affordable, but I would argue higher quality. Um, and so I, we appreciate all that you're doing on behalf of the Free Market Medical Association and this movement. You're very welcome, sir. It is definitely my honor. All right, Jay, what have you got to, to close us with, buddy? Well, I would echo Dr. Smith's comments and thank you, you know, Harlan, for everything that you do in this movement. I mean, not only are you, you know, part of the movement, but you're also an incredible spokesperson for the movement. So thank you so much. Um, you know, Dr. Smith gave a shout out to the consultants and certainly they're definitely worthy of praise. I've seen so many, you know, come off the bench and make that difficult decision to to try to reform their industry for the betterment of, of, you know, all Americans. I think it's wonderful, but I'd like to just, just also give a shout out to that, to the independent physician or the independent surgery center that has resisted um, being purchased and being assimilated uh, into the cartel. Um, I would just encourage your listeners to seek out those independents that truly still work for their patients and patronize them. Um, we, we try to do everything that we can at the FMMA to make sure the patients are aware of the difference, uh, aware of the conflictions that you see from uh, an employed physician um, and, and how the, the, the hospital ownership works. But, you know, what we can really do more than anything, though, is to support the independents because a lot of a lot of times uh, they're 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 struggling. They're hanging on um, sometimes by the fingertips. And in other areas, they've been wildly successful because they're independent. But uh, again, I just think that's something that also needs to be discussed. And yeah, absolutely. I agree with you 100 uh, percent. This movement, uh, I, I believe, has moved ahead quicker because of our independent physicians, our direct primary care doctors, our special, our direct specialty doctors. Those that have embraced this have said, you know what, I'm tired of living 
under the cartel's rule. I'm going to break away and be a rebel with these guys because they're kind of cool. So here we are all uh, being cool together. We're the cool kids. Uh, we're not part of the cartel and we're going to make the big change. Once again, guys, Jay Kempton, Keith Smith, appreciate you guys very much being with us. Uh, we're going to continue uh, moving all this stuff forward, guys. And don't forget, our next big audio event will be on July 25th, 11 a.m., the second month of Why Does Healthcare Suck? This time, we're going to follow the money. That always gets you where you want to go. Y'all join in 25th of July, 11 a.m., Why Does Healthcare Suck? Right here on LinkedIn. You can listen to it on the audio rooms. See you then.